0: This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship the Lord our God.
1: Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Lord, we thank you for all the light, grace, and life seen and known in the church which nurtured us, praying that still may we be set free from narrow mindedness and complacency. Open our eyes. That we may recognize the work of your Spirit among other people and under different forms. And should we yet walk in some things on separate ways, then present before us the common goal toward which we travel. Fill our hearts with your presence, that our mouths may proclaim your praise
0: you may be seated grace and peace to you this lord's day from the first presbyterian church in philadelphia both to those of us gathered here in the sanctuary and also to everyone worshiping in other locations we are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the lord And because it is in the name of the Lord that we gather, we know that word of welcome is one extended in Jesus Christ, which means it is a word of welcome with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, so all are welcome here. We are glad to be together. Normally at this point in the announcements, I would invite you for a time of fellowship, but we are not doing fellowship hour Uh, while the numbers for Omicron in Philadelphia are so unfavorable. We hope to be able to resume that when this this wave peaks and and passes, but for now we do ask folks uh, not to linger in the building, but to go ahead and make your exit. keeping your mask on all the while. Your worship leaders will remove our masks only when we are speaking. That is for the benefit of folks who are hard of hearing. And I will also tell you that both Diane and I have had negative COVID tests before this service. So we are able to affirm that as we remove our masks to lead worship. I'd like to highlight a couple things in your uh, bulletin. Well, actually, just one thing in your bulletin for this week. Uh, We have a book study ongoing on Wednesdays being led by the Reverend Ken Ross on Eddie Gloud's book, Begin Again. Um, I want to invite you to take part in that and also to tell you, if you have not completed the reading, you can, of course, still come to it. Ken will give a synopsis of the chapters we were to read for this week before we begin our discussion, so there is an opportunity for you to participate at any rate with that. So, with this noted, let us continue our worship with our confession of sin.
1: The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ even prays for us. With such assurance, we need not fear confession, but simply draw to our Maker in candor, first together and then in silence. Eternal God, without whose grace no promise is sure, no love is known, no life is complete, We are the beneficiaries of your goodwill from generation to generation. Though you might be harsh with us for our sins, you offer us instead redemption, salvation, a new life. Forgive us when we forget your generosity to us, when we look upon others with harshness. Renew within us the conviction to know you, to love you and to serve you through Christ our Lord. saying is true and worthy of full acceptance that Christ died to save sinners. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The first lesson comes to us from the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. Listen for the word of God. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a burning torch, The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The second lesson is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Listen to these familiar words of assurance. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit." as the Spirit chooses.
0: Our Gospel lesson is taken from the Gospel according to John, the second chapter, reading the first 11 verses. Continue now to listen for the Word of God to us this day. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. mighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Some years back, I managed to get on an email list for a company that specialized in bundled travel deals and so every week like clockwork i would receive the email equivalent of a glossy brochure advertising some all-inclusive holiday excursion and sort of like a louise penny character i would sit at my desk in indiana in the winter and salivate over the sunny beaches and with drinks with umbrellas in them and tropical fruit sticking out of them Fast forward ahead a few years to when I had returned to my hometown of Charlotte, and an old friend of mine from Indiana, Sherry, was now then living in Philadelphia in a very cold winter. And she called me one day and said, I have found an all-inclusive resort in Costa Rica where you and I can shake off the winter blues, and the best part is it's only $300, including airfare from Philly. Now immediately, my skeptic mind switched on. $300 $300 sounded absurdly cheap to me and I had just heard from another friend who had been on an all inclusive cheap vacation only to learn that she was first flying standby and second that there was a 6 hour bus ride to the resort from the airport in a rickety bus with no air conditioning that broke down now I have had all of those experiences but I generally not to have them prefer not to have them when I am on vacation So I replied, Sherry, I am not interested in a $300 vacation where I might or might not arrive at my destination at a time yet to be determined. I'm willing to spend $100 more to guarantee our arrival. Now, mind you, even many years ago, with that budget, we could have gotten about as far as Poughkeepsie. But we scoured the web, nonetheless, and found a vacation for a little more than $600 where I could find the actual resort on a map, and it was no more than five miles from the airport. So we then invited our significant others and our friends, bought our tickets, and eagerly awaited time thawing out in Antigua. With a setup like that, You have to know what happened next. Our flight was, of course, delayed. We waited and waited and waited in the airport, each minute chipping away at our vacation. But finally, late at night, we flew out, leaving just late enough that when we arrived at the resort, the gate was locked. The cab driver took his fare and left us with our luggage on the curb. Sometime later, security made their way around to the front and let us in. We went to the main desk, only to be told, we have no reservation for you. That's impossible, we replied. It was a bundled vacation, and we've already flown here, so check again. They called the travel agent back and forth. It went. Tensions, you might imagine, were beginning to rise at this point. And eventually, they booked us in, splitting us up to far different ends of the resort, where tensions continued to mount on one side of the resort. Several of us decided the next day to take a sail around the island because, you know, that's always a good idea when tensions are high, right? Get on a boat where you can't get away from each other. Finally, we anchored in a cove and got off of our boat and went to swim and to snorkel and to walk the beach. And eventually, I walked back over to Sherry, who had borne the worst brunt of one friend's irritation, and she was sitting in the shallow waters with a mesh bag filled with seashells. Look what I found, she said, holding up a stunning seashell. That is amazing, I countered. They're never in that good of a shape. It's not occupied, is it? No, she replied, and I found one for you, too, handing me a seashell she said actually i found one for each one of us and as the others returned from their walks or their swims she handed each one of them one of the beautiful seashells she had found and just like that moods started to lift a little bit the tensions eased an act Of grace and generosity pushed the reset button on our vacation. As I've reflected back over it through the years, I think of it as almost an accidental miracle. Now, we all know miracles. We, we all know the earth-shatteringly important miracles we encounter sometimes. You remember a, a plane lands on the Hudson River and everyone survives, and they make a movie about it a few years later, Or a disease that was expected to be fatal suddenly goes into remission. We all know the big ones, the, the bona fide, the world has changed miracles. But this isn't a theological term at all. And I, but I think there are sometimes things that are nothing more than miraculous accidents. And so that's why I call them accidental miracles. You've probably encountered a few accidental miracles yourself in your life. They are the occurrences when there is not one single bit of purpose to them other than to introduce beauty and generosity into life. Nobody is alive who wouldn't otherwise have been alive. Nobody has been healed of any particular ailment. These are just the sort of life is beautiful moments. I've always thought of that wedding feast in Cana like that. Nobody's life was going to be over. Nobody was suffering, except perhaps from a hangover. Nobody was going to die of embarrassment We all know they'd had plenty of wine, according to the story. Maybe a few too many guests showed up without returning their RSVP cards, even though you included a stamped envelope with them. And next thing you know, the wine gives out. Nobody's dying. It's not a plane crash, it's just the wine running out. It's not a tragedy. The wine is not necessary. And the story even tells us that Jesus didn't want to do it. Rilke puts it this way but at that wedding feast there, when unexpectedly the wine ran out, she begged him for a gesture with her look and didn't grasp that he resisted her. And then he did it. Later she understood how she had pressured him into his course. For now, he really was a wonder worker, and the whole sacrifice was now ordained. In John's Gospel, everything is so structured. You have exactly one chapter of prologue, exactly one chapter of epilogue, and the middle is broken down in equal parts. Of signs and wonders for the glorification of Jesus Christ. It is so structured. Where, where the synoptic Gospels leave a little mystery as to when and how Jesus understood himself to be God's anointed, the Gospel of John seems to presuppose it from the very start. Indeed, even the Last Supper is structured differently in John than it is in the other Gospels, where Jesus shares the Passover Lamb with his disciples in the Synoptic Gospels. In John, Jesus is the Passover Lamb. Uh, John's Gospel, from the high Christology of its prologue to its fascination with symbols such as light and darkness, is stylized, theologized, and planned. And yet here is this seemingly random, unplanned miracle at the very start, an accidental miracle, if you will. Nobody's being saved from death, no demons have been cast out, it just adds beauty and generosity to life. And with John's gospel being so structured, one might at times wonder if such a gospel has the flexibility to speak to a world upended at times by such things as racism, gun violence, economic hoarding, and out-of-control partisanship, and so on, and so on. But in this very world, the world where we live, where all those things are true, That is the gospel we need. A gospel where grace breaks in for no reason other than that it is grace. We need a world filled with generosity. I can't remember if I've ever told you that one time I sat down and calculated the exact amount of wine. It's not hard. Six jars times 30 gallons, that is 180 gallons of wine. A normal-sized bottle is 750 milliliters. I'm not talking about the box when you stick at the back of your fridge, but a normal-sized bottle that you'd put out on the table. 750 milliliters, that's 900 bottles of wine. 600, if you go with the conservative estimate. 900 bottles of wine. That's just showing off. That's abundance. That's grace. The poet Richard Wilbur concludes that the world's fullness is not made but found. So what concern is that to you and me? The concern is that God, who is the fount of every blessing, God whose giving knows no ending, God is the source of all life, all grace, all truth, all beauty, and it is given with Endless abundance. Many years ago, I was singing with the Princeton Seminary Choir, and our director, Martin Tell, informed us that we were going to sing the final verse of Amazing Grace in canon. Now, to my mind, that was a horrible idea. That is the verse where the rhetoric sort of soars. You remember 10,000 years and all, and the organ, if it's already loud, gets even louder. And and more to the point, Amazing Grace is not around. But Martin insisted. He said, it's pentatonic, and that means that every note can be played with every other note. It just works, trust me. Well, it wasn't that I didn't trust him. It's that I wanted to sing the song the way I wanted to sing the song. But when we started singing, and it was a four-part canon, a tight canon, And we were singing it twice. I began to hear the words repeating as the canon sort of started to roll along, as a canon does. When we've been there 10,000 years, 10,000 years, 10,000 years, 10,000 years, we've no less days, we've no less days, we've no less days, we've no less days. Abundance, unnecessary grace. And when the canon began to conclude, Martin had us hold the final note, and finally the last thread of the canon came into a single sustained note, and he faded us out one by one until only a single alto voice remained. And then he started us singing this verse again, adding us in one by one until it was a cacophony of grace, with thousands, days, years going on and on all over one another mixed and mingled together the abundance of God in musical form. And the message to me that day, the message for us this day is you can't exhaust God's grace. It's like Finding 900 bottles of wine when the party's already in full swing. It's like hearing that 10,000 years is not enough time to experience the fullness of God. And perhaps my favorite analogy it's like winning the lottery when you haven't bought a ticket. I'm pretty sure John didn't put this story right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry for no reason. It seems to serve absolutely no purpose other than to be a marker of generosity and beauty. And to make that statement before one more word about Jesus was said. Jesus, who in John's gospel tells us he comes that we might have life and have it abundantly. What concern is that to you and me? We are both the recipients and the bearers of that grace. We are the recipients in a world that is so full of God's grace that we could never exhaust it, and we are the bearers in a world that at times seems bereft of grace because it does not understand that God's grace is not made by us, but only found, only found. There's an old fable that is told of a teacher in a missionary school in Africa. After getting to know her class, she shared that she would miss being with her family on Christmas Day. And the children were interested in the practices of Christmas, so she spoke of worship and church, and then added, almost as an afterthought, that giving presents was part of the celebration. Why, the children wanted to know. And she thought for a moment and replied, Well, the, the gift is an expression of love and gratitude for our friends and family, and we give them at Christmas time to remind ourselves of what God gave us in Jesus. Well, when Christmas Day arrived, a child in the class brought the teacher a seashell of spectacular beauty. "'Wherever did you find it?' his teacher asked. And the boy told her of a cove where this particular kind of seashell could be found, and she thanked him for it. Later, she looked on a map of the surrounding area and was startled to note that that the cove where the pupil found the shell was many miles away by foot. So the next day she said to him, the shell is beautiful, but you really shouldn't have gone all that way to get a gift for me. And the story concludes that a young man looked at her with kind eyes and said, the walk is part of the gift. And so it is with grace, and so it is with God, that the walk is part of the gift. What concern is that to you and me? The pointless abundance of beauty and kindness that unfold before us are part Of the gift. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
1: Let us affirm our faith together with the ancient baptismal creed of the Church. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Remembering that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God, let us return to God the gifts of what we have taken from God's abundance and the prayers of our hearts with our morning offering. Remembering whether we make our gifts online or following the service, God loves a cheerful giver.
0: loved in Christ, let us unite our hearts and our minds in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, from whom all our blessings flow, we thank you and praise you for the abundance with which we live. Bless our offerings that they may stand as a reminder to us of your ongoing claim on our lives, a claim marked by living with your justice, your mercy, and your love. God of love, sanctify our lives that they may stand as markers of your justice. On this weekend, when we remember the life and witness of Dr. King, we are reminded that you have called us to be partners with you, co creators of a world of justice. And knowing that the moral arc of the universe will only bend toward justice if we make it bend toward justice, we pause to remember before you those places and people who stand in need of a measure of grace and comfort and peace. And so it is that we pray for the whole world, for the places that yearn for peace year in and year out. We pray that your spirit would bring wholeness. For the leaders of every nation, we pray that your purposes would be made known in human history in the manifestation of goodness and kindness, generosity and grace. And so we pray as well for our own nation. We know that our country stands in need of healing, but we know as well that healing can only be authentic if it reaches into the deepest places of pain. As the pandemic rages on and we must retreat from one another, we realize that divisions and injustice have been brought into clearer focus just at the moment we feel least able to gather and do the work of the Church. So remind us that any notion that we would stand as a marker for justice in the world requires that we must exhibit basic fairness at home. Remind us that our witness is questionable if we cannot bridge our own divides. We need to place a way forward, O Lord, that presses us to deal with what divides us. Do not allow us, we pray, to descend into toxic positivity and to gloss over the hurts and pains that boil over. Hold us to account for the injustices of race. Hold us to account for the injustices of poverty. Hold us to account for our tribalism and divisiveness. Hold us to account for the scourge of gun violence. Because, O Lord, we know that if we do not address these problems at the places of deepest pain, any solution will be fleeting. To that end, O Lord, we pray that you will be at work in our city. We who live in the midst of affluence must be reminded of those who are poor. We who enjoy abundance must remember those who struggle to make ends meet. We who rely on a calm and quiet mind must pray for those who struggle with emotional and mental illness, addiction, and disease. Because, O Lord, you call us to wholeness. You call us to lives marking the generosity and goodness with which you have filled this abundant life. And so, to that end, O God, we pray for your Church, for the Church Universal, for the Presbyterian Church, and for First Church. We ask your blessing, not so that we may reside in a state of blessedness, but that so that we might live as a blessing to the world. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. loved in Christ, God has called us into a journey together as a body of faith. That means that we walk alongside one another in this world filled with abundance, truth, and beauty, and goodness. And so we remember that the walk is part of the gift. So now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.